Pillow, and welcome to TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners will be sitting down with Very CEO and co-founder Jason McCann, who has become a mainstay at Trek board meetings and events in recent years. In fact, Very will once again be our top sponsor at this year's fight night at the world champion level. So thank you, Jason and Barry, for all of your support. Barry's story is a remarkable one. The company began as Veridesk in 2013 and revolutionized the office furniture industry with its line of standing desks. In the years since, Barry has expanded to more than 200 products and now offers innovative workspace solutions in the form of Veraspace, with lease terms starting at three years and 10,000 square feet of office space. The company rebranded as Very last year, just before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Bill and Jason talk about COVID, Veraspace, and much more. But before we hear from them, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to TrackCast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media for the latest news and updates from around the Real Estate Council. We've linked to all of our social media handles and major podcast platforms in the show notes, so go check that out. You can also watch Bill and Jason's conversation over on our YouTube channel. We've linked to that in the show notes as well. Now, here's Bill Cauley in conversation with Jason McCann, CEO and co-founder of Very, right here on TrackCast. Jason, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be great. Me too, Bill. Thank you, know, you for uh, the chat. You're one of my favorite people in real estate in uh, the last... I think one of the benefits of being in Trek is you meet, you get to meet people like you see and hear about. And uh, I've had such a great respect for what you guys have accomplished. You know, I mean, you know, I know your partner. I knew your Dan before I knew oh, you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I'm kind of uh, been really looking forward to this. Yeah. And Dan thinks the world of you. So I'm glad you and I have got to know each other a little better over the last couple of years here. So it's been a lot of fun. I need to get Dan to tell Keely <laughs> that I'm a good guy. <laughs> so g give everybody a little bit of background on your family, you know, kids, story. A little yeah. Bit. So uh, my wife and I grew up in Galveston. So I married my high school sweetheart. And so that's been fun. We've been here in the Dallas area since the late 90s. Dan and I actually met in the in the late 90s and did a dot com business. And so we went boom and bust during the dot com craze in the late was, 90s. Dan was involved in that too. He was. Yeah. So he had recruited it's good me to hear to that he has some misses. I've never <laughs> seen him miss yet. He had the year Big Mouth Billy Bass Fish the same year. So he had a pretty good year, pretty good hedge. Um, and then I joined Jemmy and was president of Jemmy Industries for about the last 10 years. And Jemmy's the company that made Big Mouth Billy Bass. It also makes all those inflatables you see on people's yards for Halloween and Christmas. And Carrie and I have three kids that are now 21, 19, and 16. So, yeah, we're blessed to be here. We live in the Capel area, so we love it. So how do you go from inflatables to furniture? Yeah, you know, Dan is really a, a product genius, I would say. And he founded Jemmy Industries back in 1985. And so really a, the leading consumer products powerhouse of Christmas and Halloween product. If yeah. you're at a Lowe's, Home Depot, or Walmart. And he's standing there with... Uh, back pain one day and standing in a cardboard box back in 2012 go all the way back so he and i would you know i'd walk into his office and he's standing up and you know just trying to figure out what was wrong and um couldn't find a solution for him he was ordering products online and 
um, drunked up one night an idea for a product, and Dan's pretty good at products. But but so like when he was looking for products online, products to alleviate back pain, or were you focused on the desk? A standing at that point? desk. Got yeah, it, he, standing he desk. went to a, his right. uh, doctor, and she said, "Well, if you feel better standing up, you should stand up more." That was literally the prescription. And so he stood up more and felt a little better and um, couldn't find a desk online. They would take weeks to deliver. These crazy boxes and contraptions would show up. And Dan and I would try to assemble them. It was a joke. And then he dreamt up the product and he started talking about it and describing it. And so I grabbed one of our designers, David Patton. And David joined us and the three of us sat around Dan's classic desk like every executive had, you know, eight or ten years ago. And he said, what if it could slide out of the box and grab the handles and just stand up? And David started to sketch mechanisms. And over a two-hour period, sketched up what ultimately became the prototype for the Veradesk. So tell me that's not an example of somebody seeing something and not just having a thought and moving on, but having the self-confidence or the gumption to see a, a void in in a need in the market and doing it yeah you know we always talk about um pain points that are out there and you see friction and pain points everywhere in business and so this pain point happened to be a literal one for dan's back pain but then also the pain point we couldn't find a product solution couldn't get one affordable couldn't get an easy one yeah. didn't have a didn't have a, a logical solution and so i think that entrepreneurial spirit of why not try it build it test it you know, what's the worst case scenario? Yeah, but I mean, so many people, I think, I, I think the difference between the people that kind of get where you've gotten or where you're heading um, and kind of just living uh, maybe a bland or normal life is the people that have an idea or see a need and have the confidence to go see if they can fill it, right? Even if they fail, right? But it's the people that take action is what makes, you know, our country so good. But it's just, I, I just think, you know, it kind of drives me crazy because I, I, like I am constantly trying to be cutting edge. I want to be new and different. There's risk in that, right? Mm -hmm. And there was risk in what you did, but it started a whole industry that you're in that you would have never thought about. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you talk about the entrepreneurial spirit, which I believe is really the lifeblood of our economy. And it does take risk, but there's huge rewards when it works, um, but also grit and determination, also a willingness to try and fail and learn. When we had that first prototype, we showed it to our employees and they some loved it. They're like, oh my God, I feel better. But that's one thing to say it to me. I'm president of the company. It's another thing for us to take it outside the four walls and hit the battlefield of commerce. And so we drove it around here in Dallas. And this is a great place to ideate and create products on a local level to test and learn. There's so many great companies here. So somebody knew somebody that knew the president of Verizon and got us a meeting. That was literally our first presentation. And, you know, the night before I'm laying there, I'm like, what the hell am I going to say to Pedro? I don't even know this gentleman. I've, you know, he's so nice to take the meeting. And I said, well, at the end of the day, we're trying to create a happier, healthier, more productive workspace. And we literally walked in with that presentation and said, I think we can transform lives through product. And 
we talked to him and he had no idea what we were talking about. Sitting was not the new smoking. It, you know, it, 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 he just had never heard of all these terms that were coming out literally at that moment. But for us to get feedback and for him to be open enough to bring in his ergonomist, to bring in his head of people in HR, for them to give us feedback, for us to be open and willing to learn and listen allowed us to tweak the product. But you're right, it, it takes the desire to get that action started, but it also takes the willingness to listen, to show your idea, to nurture it along, to get that feedback, to fail, craft it, and get back up and do yeah, it again. To carry through. So, so like, when, you know, I wonder sometimes when you ask people for their opinion of a product that they know you're pitching, if they tell you the truth. I once uh, invested in a restaurant and told no one that I did. And I would take people to the restaurant and I would ask for their feedback. And I think it's the only time I ever really got true feedback. And there was plenty of negativity that came out, but the negative is what you want, right? Mm -hmm. You want what they really think. Yep. Because I, I think a lot of times people won't just be transparent with you because they risk, I don't know why they don't have faith in a relationship or when really all you want is Tell me, tell me where I can make this better, right? Mm -hmm. So you go from that to, what did you know about furniture? I mean, how do you build an organization? I mean, how do you go from a stand-up desk to what, what's happened? I mean, did you go find somebody in the industry to bring in, or have you just figured it out as you went along? No, no, definitely figured it out as we went along. Didn't know anything about the furniture <laughs> I industry. That. I think we only knew about it. Because you didn't want to go the way they were going, right? You wanted to be new and different? Well, I didn't know any better. It was sheer ignorance on my part. And so, but I knew how to open up companies and build product. And I've bought furniture for myself before, and we had bought it, you know, for Jemmy and other businesses. And so, the idea of how to get it, it was more about, okay, so as we just learned, we started showing it, you know, the product and people started to buy it. And Dan and I joked we'd never do another dot-com business together after we went bust. But we for $99, we built a website on 3D Cart, set up QuickBooks, had a real simple setup, ordered some products, started selling them online, doing some Google ads. And then recognizing that the furniture industry was kind of in an antiquated industry. And I didn't realize this till we showed up at Neocon at the trade show in Chicago, which is the biggest office furniture show in the world. And they said, well, you have to sell through a dealer. You have to do it this way. You have to advertise in a catalog. And I'm like, nobody advertises in a catalog. You don't pay for that. You have to list and discount the furniture at least 50%. And I said, well, Amazon- So market up double, then discount it half. At least. And so they call it list and discount. And if it just became how the vernacular of that industry, it was very antiquated and didn't make any sense. And so we just said, well, could we do it a different way? Um, and did they buck you? They had to, they probably, I mean, you wanted to just give, put a price, do it your way. Did they fight you? Yeah, a little bit. And so we didn't, you know, we tried to sell through the dealers at first and they would sell one or two in a week. And um, we just, our website was selling three a day was a big order. It was a thousand bucks in a day. And we were like, oh my goodness, we're onto something big here. And we started to listen to the customer and, um, you know, we, and we got lucky, you know, we did the logical, you know, thing, which seems obvious today, but, you know, we were sitting there and this is when Wi-Fi wasn't on every airplane and we're sitting there on an airplane and trapped on a tarmac for four hours. And it was really, again, maybe a blessing from God. We're flipping through a Sky Mall magazine and we're like, wouldn't it be funny if we advertised in Sky Mall, somebody standing up because we couldn't get up. 
Okay, sure. So we did it. We reached out to Sky Mall at the last minute. They had an ad spot for Remnant Ad. We paid twenty five thousand bucks for three months, and became the number one selling item in Sky Mall's history overnight. And so you're suddenly have people tearing out a page of a magazine in an airplane and calling you and saying, "I've got to get one of these." But what ultimately we had done is provided a fantastic product direct to the customer, listened to the customer, and learned. And that's how we've gotten it. And the beauty of the internet today is you get feedback raw. So they're going to write a review about you, whether it's on your reviews about your product, whether you as a CEO are going to get um, written up on salary.com or Glassdoor. The reality is there's information out there. And so we got all that feedback, improved the product, continue to make it better and better, and started to sell a lot of product. And suddenly... $1,000 $1,000 a day became $10,000, $100,000, even days well over a million dollars a day, which is incredible to think that we could we could facilitate that. But because I had failed before, I realized we could also <laughs> we could also have these are growing pains, which I always joke are much more fun than shrinking pains. So we just exactly. we started to manage it and started to figure it out, hire, hire really great people to join the team early on. Um, spun off the company in 2013 to be a standalone business so that it didn't kill Jemmy on accident and right. let it go. What about shift from a stand-up desk to a manufacturing furniture? I mean, was that just because of the volume? Or what? when did you kind of decide, hey, w- this is not a one-trick pony. We're going to get into this business. What happened? Well, you know, we started to, we leased some space for ourselves across the street and, and had a, had a standalone business. And we're like every company, we're growing fast. We're hiring talent. So we, we built some uh, walls that move. We, we, we had always for 15 plus years had walls that could move so that at Jemmy, we could change up the space. We just hated the idea that sheetrock gets tossed in a landfill all so the time. And, um, so, and Dan had owned a couple million square feet of real estate here in Dallas and said, I hate it every five years. I'm literally, we're ripping out all these walls, tossing them in a landfill and putting them back up two feet over from where they were last time. Mm-hmm. Let's create a flexible space. So we put walls up. We started doing standing conference tables because standing meetings happen faster. And then we welcomed people to visit us in Capel. They would tour our office and say, well, I want all of this. And they would be circling. And what they were talking about was the energy and the culture of the space. And that's how we got into more and more products. It was listening to the fans. They literally said, do you have anti-fatigue mats? Do you have monitor arms? Can we buy electric desks from you? We want to buy your walls. We want to buy your lights. All from touring our headquarters. They pulled us along the journey versus us forcing it down their throat. So having that authentic relationship with the customer and being totally transparent and them learning with you allowed us to sell and earn the right to sell more and more products out there. Okay, so what what's the hardest part of your job day to day? Well, I think you know at at the end, you know, you think about we're we're in the people business, so we're recruiting talent. Today's market's crazy. We're retaining talent. We're growing. Um, we've been faced with tremendous growing pains, and I had choked early on. I said if I was twenty five years old, I would have crashed this thing because I wouldn't have surrounded myself with an amazing leadership team. I wouldn't have invested at the time and in the infrastructure and the technology um, or the new products and the pipeline. So constantly managing that, I've got to prove too, as a, as a CEO, can I prove that I can go from zero to a million, zero to hundreds of millions? Can I push the, can I build a billion dollar plus brand out there? We've driven billions of dollars in sales overall since we've started the company. 
But as a CEO, there's very few that can take it all the way. And so I've got to continue. I wake up, like I say, broke every day and I've got to earn every day. So I've, I've got to do my job, lead my team um, with, especially right now, empathy, love and grace through these crazy times right. that we're in. Um, but navigate that and prove that that I can that I can do it. And so those are that's probably the hardest thing is realizing there's 300 plus families that rely on the decisions I make every day. You know, in business, I think momentum is awesome, and when you have it, you got to keep it. Right? Mm -hmm. Losing momentum and trying to go get it back is so hard, right? Because you have a culture where everything's thriving, and I've we've all seen businesses or organizations that had lots of momentum and they just couldn't handle it or they couldn't keep it going and it just seems like you guys have handled the momentum really really well i mean um it, you just keep uh, and and i love that the answer is just listening and what they're telling you they want it's awesome yeah i think you know we've been blessed to you know you, you build a product that goes on top of a desk so in your mind at some point you run out of desks right we have millions of units all over the world that have been sold, probably over four or five million units now of the Veridesk, the original. And obviously hundreds of knockoffs and other companies have come out with other desktop converters. Well, that, that has an innovation life cycle to it over time, but we pushed into a new category. Could we transform the way people think about workspaces? Could we elevate people and cultures through workspace design? Could we bring other products that are around health and wellness into the workspace? Could we do that? We had to one, simplify our name because the, the term desk didn't matter anymore. And so what do we do? We had to elevate the brand. I'd never done that before. We had to elevate our product offering, our technology offering. So again, making those bets and those pushes into that. We also recognize in sales, and you know this very well, it's about the relationship and the trust that you build. Totally. So not only on the product side, we've got to earn it, but on the relationship. So now to hire outside salespeople, so I'm in almost 14 different markets now across the country, and that's all been done during COVID, um, to hire salespeople that can help us build the brand and the relationships in these markets. And so all those are those are challenges, but I, I believe long-term in what we're doing there. But you're not hiring, you're hiring, you're not hiring a typical person that would work for another furniture company. In most cases, you're hiring people new to your industry because you don't want. It's a little bit of both. Got it. It's, you know, you've got people that have now. seen the industry and they, yeah. they see a better way and they're like, wow, this is so simple. There's less than 300 products. It's, flexible the walls move you think about we do free space planning and design and we do free installation and we come in we'll reconfigure your space yeah. for a fee it's about thinking about the future of workspace that's very different than the traditional model so people that are in the traditional model are attracted to come over and say wow you're like tesla you know you're the new version of the industry and i've been working at chevrolet forever yeah so let's let's come over and do that i've got people that are brand new you know, that are coming in and, and are entering the industry just like we all do in the next generation. So I'm excited to have them because they're all about the future of work. They've seen visuals of what Google and Facebook look like online, their headquarters. That's kind of what we think about product. You know, I think you and Dan are such a good team because Dan, minutia wears him out, right? <laughs> he's so creative. He's, so, he's very, incredible. very smart. Yep. And he's got uh, conviction, right? When he sees mm -hmm. opportunities, very, he does it. He gets after it. Because, I mean, he sees the desks. Now he's looking at real estate going, 
finish out can be different. And and I think you're onto something. I definitely know that that you're right. Because as a developer, I mean, I want to be, I want to be different and innovative too. Mm-hmm. And I think somewhere in the middle, this is all going to work out. Because yeah. I keep thinking, I don't want to emulate what you're doing, but 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 ripping out office walls every couple years is not the answer. I don't know where we're going to all end up, but but I want to build what you're, I want to do what you're doing, but I want to build a new building that's got flexible interior wall space mm-hmm. that um, just to try it, you know, and just see. But I, I just think um, it's so invigorating or cool to see you guys changing. You're, you guys are change agents for the real estate business. Started with in furniture, you've done it. Now you're getting into real estate. Yeah, no, it's it's been incredible. And I, you know, when when I think we toured that Zales building way back, yeah. and it was up for auction, and to see an asset that was beautiful in its heyday and award winning yeah. in the '80s, and then for it to sit neglected for six years, and for us to go in and Thank God Jeff Lamb was here and, and the Corgan team and Structure Town were awesome. But, to, you know, to, to come in and reimagine what that could be and bring it to life allowed us to test and learn um, and prove out that could we do it a little different? It allowed us to get into the soft seating line. We weren't into soft seating category yeah. and it forced us into these new right. categories and we learned. Well, and there's there's real estate like that all over the country. Mm-hmm. You know, when it gets a little age on it, a little bit dated, a big tenant moves out. Everybody just looks at that as risk, and you looked at it as opportunity. Okay, so pandemic hits. What have you learned, or what's changed you as a person, or uh, the pandemic? I've got several things that, that I I think it did for me. Uh, I'd love to hear that on a personal side, mm-hmm. and also maneuvering through it from a company side. Yeah, I think, you know, the the impact, um, COVID hit right as we did the rebrand from Veridesk to Veri, and we had just hired 50 salespeople in these markets. And I think like everybody, I thought it'd be over in a few weeks and it wasn't. So I went into- It's like I, a 90 days. I, uh, I had some very sleepless nights. And so we started, I started daily emails to the team of really what was on my mind. And it forced me to be a much more- open communicator. I'm quite introverted and even though it doesn't seem like it, but I am. And I, and I forced myself to just say what was on my mind in my heart, well, how I was feeling. Um, because it was pretty sleepless nights. I was trying to navigate it. We pivoted, um, in a, in a few days to a work from home environment for our customer base. So we literally switched our TV ads to say, work from home, 10% discount, which I, I just don't believe in discounting, like try to keep everyday value from a pricing standpoint. So I did things I wasn't comfortable with on the business side. Also, I started weekly Zoom calls with all 300 employees and just started to talk about everything that was on my mind. And so it forced me to be a, a, a much stronger communicator um, with the team. Um, the crisis did create clarity. And so we were able to lean into it and focus our resources. The work from home, our business pivoted from 90% corporate to 90% shipments went to people's homes. Our electric desk blew up. Thank God we were in stock. Um, thank God we were considered an essential business. Could you keep the supply chain up with your, with your orders? We were, yeah, we were, we were in a great spot. 
Um, and then while people were out, we transformed our headquarters. We, we did distance-based design. Things mm -hmm. that I saw were happening in Asia before the CDC came out with guidelines, we learned. We did mm -hmm. almost a thousand offices during COVID where we transformed their spaces. Um, so those were things um, I think that we did on the tactical side. On the, on the personal side, you know, it was, you know, I just had to lean on, um, really, I, I leaned into meditation and some other things around health and wellness, I think that were very good for me on a personal level, um, and read some incredible books just to try to, um, on stoicism and the obstacles way, Ryan Holly, just to try to clear my head and mind, um, because there were just so many moving parts to really focus on what are the priorities going to be today? What can I control? What can I not control? And that allowed us and I think the team. The last thing I'll say is that we rallied around a single rallying cry, which a, a friend of mine had said during the SARS heyday, um, we're going to keep rowing until the wind catches our sails. And that became like our daily push that everybody, everybody knew that we're still rowing and that eventually the wind would catch our sails and that we would get through this storm together. And that became a rallying cry that I think resonated with a lot of us. Um, and it still resonates with me every day. Well, and it ended up being pretty much a positive for your business, right? It thrived, right? Mm -hmm. It's been good. Okay, and so how did your family do through COVID? I mean, did you see any issues of, or how'd your kids do, your wife? I mean, everybody just kind of buckle well, up and get through it? or Oh, I think... I any think fear? It, uh, I think there was human nature fear. You know, our oldest was down at Baylor and they all came home and that... And I think, and then the kids were alone and isolated. And I, I think, think that, that was tough. Too, too much isolation. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we started to talk about, um, mental health and those types of things with, with whether it was employees, their loved ones, our families, just to make sure that everybody was okay and trying to, cause I did think the isolation was very hard on people to be away from their friends and loved ones. And so, um, those were things that I think that we've, we've now seen the benefit of, you know, I, I was blessed that we kind of all got to be together last summer, which was nice. And you know, you got some other some of the of the benefits from it that were really. I, I think what I got was balance. Mm. You know, I have always been pre like when, and I'm a lot older than you are, but in my generation, it was all work, 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 right? And it was drive, and you want you want to accomplish things. And so many people would put their personal lives on hold to go build their career, and they think they can go back. You know, and you never really know if you can go put that back together and or you know you never know how long your health's going to last etc so so but i've always been very driven right but i think what i got out of it was balance mm -hmm. i mean to where um having a nice dinner with my kids just became more important taking a walk with my wife and talking and more intimacy with my wife just instead of going from one fire to the next i think uh, not over uh, committing on my on my personal side and my business side, mm -hmm. and and I, I really like it. It's um, um, you know it, it, I just I think I've cut out chaos. Uh, I mean it's still there because I'm a I'm the biggest generator of chaos in my life. But but I think I've gotten a more healthy balance than I had. Before. Well, I think also, I think you did a great job, really. I think for you and I probably kicked off the second phase of our relationship and to see what you did with Trek and the community and the, getting the CEOs on the call where we could all get on and, and you're, you're leaning into South Dallas and, and helping push through some of those things with Linda and our team. 
inspired me as a, as, and I'm not that much younger than you, I'm 51, but mm -hmm. to inspire people like me that know that we've got to continue to do our part to, to lead and share and, and do the right thing. And so right. I, I think that was a great thing I Thank learned you. from you. So Thank I you. appreciate you doing you that. Know, you know, one of the things as I get older, I think given is better than getting. Mm -hmm. It just is. It feels yeah. better. Okay, so you got a kid coming out of college that's looking for advice. Um, like I get them all the time. Like, And one of the things I'm committed to is these kids that are graduating, you know, just looking for direction, right? And you say they want to be in the real estate business or they want to be in your business, whatever it is. You're kind of in both businesses. And um, I always try to be really honest with them, right? Just not give them lip service and pass them down to the next guy, but actually be honest and, and try to get involved. What, what would your advice be for a kid getting into business today on, on career, et cetera? What do you think are the must-haves or the important parts? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of things. One, it's, it's finding a place where you can learn and grow. And so I think you are looking for either companies or organizations that – um, that have common values and leaders that you can learn from. Totally. The second thing I think is impact. And where do you think that ultimately you can have the most impact early in, in your career, your impact may be very tiny, but you want to have a place where your impact is valued and the, and the work that you're working on is meaningful. And so whether you get that from the career pieces or the volunteers or the organizations that you can join, um, but building those relationships early on, um, I also just say, bring in your whole self to it. And so there's people that say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I, I want to, I just want to do something. You can be an entrepreneur inside an organization. You can have those, that totally. entrepreneur, um, and, and drive those because that's what, that's what entrepreneurs and CEOs want is people that treat it like it's their own money that bring all of that to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if you can make a little money and have fun along the way, yeah. it makes it you know, extra juice for it. But those getting those first three things right is how I always yeah, think, I think about it. You know, grit, passion, mm -hmm. just be committed. But also I think you have to respect the people you're with, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I don't know how you, I, I, a couple times early in my career, I worked for people mm -hmm. uh, that I learned, grew to not respect. And um, life's too short. Right. And I got out of there, but I didn't get out of there as quick as I should have. And I also think, you know, in life, one of the things I've learned too is if you see something that's not working, fix it as fast as you can yeah. with empathy, right? Yeah. yeah. I think and you've got to trust this gut, you know, your, whether it's God, your gut, whatever this, this thing is, I can't, every time I've not trusted it, it's gone wrong right. for me. I totally agree. Every, which, every time. And so... Um, I, I think just, I always tell them whatever you feel, that energy that you feel right there, you know what the right decision is. You know what you should right. be doing. Trust your gut. Trust it. And you know, I'm, I'm, I think your gut is God. Mm -hmm. I, do. I do too. And I think God, God's given you the intuition to guide you. Right. And it's about just listening to, to God or your gut. Mm -hmm. And every time I didn't, haven't done it, Me too. it's been, it's been a mess. <laughs> Me too. Okay. How about biggest mistake? Business mistake. Um, uh, biggest business mistake. You know, the 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 dot com was a tough one just because we had built an unprofitable business model and we had raised capital like everybody. And so, and did you know you were fighting an uphill battle there? Or I, I mean, think everybody in their mind was doing dot coms the same way in 1999. It. it was get revenue at all cost and don't worry about anything else. 
And when the cash ran out, everybody got wiped out. We just didn't have a profitable business model. I've failed in the restaurant business, arguably. Um, just were you invested or you were actually? I, I used to run. I used to own a, a restaurant and nightclub down in Houston, um, and we we did okay. It wasn't great. Did you like it? Oh yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, but it wasn't my calling, and so I think that's where you recognize where if it's totally. not your calling, right, um, you're in the wrong place, and so you're not adding the value. So those are probably the the, the easier business ones. We've I've done plenty of mistakes out there. Have you ever <laughs> had anybody give you bad advice? Um, Worst advice. No, I don't, I don't know that I have worst advice. I'd have to think about that, Bill. Um, yeah, I think, well, I mean, I've had people, I've chased what I call pyrite, where I, I chase what I think is going to be money, fool's gold on um, That's ideas. part about being an entrepreneur, right? Uh, I think it's more, but not, not, it's just going back to not trusting my gut when I kind of knew it was a false, right. like something wasn't right. Um and at the end of the day, it's not about the money. Ever. It should never be about the money. So like every time I have gotten out of my fairway, it's it's not a disaster, but it's just not effective, it's not, right? And it's not fun. And as you get older, you kind of realize this is really where I belong. Mm -hmm. And as long as I stay on that path, I'm I'm great. And because it's, it's weird because when I was younger, bigger and more was really important. And Today, it's doing it right and doing it with quality and integrity. Mm -hmm. And now, if that leads to a lot, that's great. But it, it biggest doesn't make it better. Right. Do you yeah, agree? no, I, I think it's, I, I look at it like it's in, impact. And so what is, what is the best way to have impact today? I always look at it like at, at 51, if I'm blessed to have another 49 here, what are the years I can have impact? Um, what are the things that are... That it, through my kids and through the the people I mentor or the or the business people that I associate with, what's the positive impact that I can have on their lives? So the ripple effect will continue on beyond my lifetime. And trying to think of it as a as a bigger journey than just this brief moment of time that we're here um, is kind of how I think about things. So like I um, in '97, I was in an accident, and I'm laying in the ditch thinking I'm dying and all the stuff that was important became irrelevant and all the stuff I've been putting off in my life became really important. And I think it's a blessing to get to that point as soon as you can in your life, because you kind of realize what's really important. It's, it's about, it's about people and relationships and it, all that stuff's a lot more important than money. Like, like, um, the day I stopped chasing money is when I started making it. Like mm -hmm. when I started just servicing my customer or doing what I, I, my passion was, then the money will follow, right? And everybody I've ever seen that, that follows money or is solely focused on money, they, I've seen them get, have success, but, but there's a lot of misery with it, I think. Yeah, I think the... Um... The idea of, I, I try to simplify everything. And so I think about... It's got to be simple for me. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, but also, too, I just, I think when I start to notice things that cause me anxiety, I used to joke and like I used to go in my closet and it would cause me anxiety. So I, in my late 30s, decided to just simplify my wardrobe and just wear black every day because that seemed to be simple. And so it literally reduced anxiety and I stress. Love that. 
and I was about 20 pounds overweight and I wasn't sleeping well. And my, um, and I was traveling to Asia all the time. And, um, and my doctor said, well, give up some stuff. So I gave up drinking and I lost 20 pounds in a little over a month. I that, quit snoring at night. Which that means made, you were drinking. That was, yeah. <laughs> you were good at it then. Um, and it was, um, but I felt better. And, and so for me, reducing things that cause distraction also, unnecessary things. But that um, takes discipline, right? I oh, mean, yes. I mean yeah. you can, there's a lot of people that get told what you got told that mm -hmm. go, eh, check, the, I'm not doing that. Right. But I think recognizing it, as soon as you get a benefit out of it and whatever, whatever those things are and keep marching down the path there, I think helps a lot. Um, and again, you, I agree with you as you think about the relationship. So um, you start studying uh, Buddhism and the presence, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you're a very good connector of people. Mm -hmm. And so but not everybody can make somebody feel that engaged or know that you're all in to have mm -hmm. this conversation. I'm here to help you. Like mm -hmm. I'm genuinely here to help you. And so us as a society trying to find ways to do that and it's probably one at a time it's each person making that candle lighting it up for somebody else but if we can each continue to do that i think the ripple effect can be tremendous so but we have to lead by example as leaders as parents as loved ones with our relationships with our family with um, with the other executives that we interact with and with our team members and if you can show that, I think that ripple effect can be really, really positive out there. Well, I think if you're um, not real or genuine, they figure it out really fast. Mm -hmm. And usually the person that's not real or genuine is the last one to figure out that they're not, they're not kidding anybody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think, I think being real and just being genuine about who you are is win one right in life. And the thing I learned, like when I was a kid that used to frustrate me in business was I had relationships, but none of them had any influence, right? We're at an age now and where you are at in your business where everybody we know has influence, right? And so you realize that it's, it's so much more about relationships than it is anything. Because if you've been genuine in your relationships, when you need them, they're there for you because they... They have faith in you, right? Mm -hmm. They just trust you. Yep. And the guys that are full of baloney, <laughs> you know, nobody wants, they know that there's nothing there for them. I, th I just think, you know, uh, if, I, if like I tell my kids, drive, and I don't think you can, it's that's, I, they have to have that, right? Yeah, they got to work ethic, the grit, the drive. You right, have, right. But amazing. being genuine and real is totally at their control, right? Well, I, I, when I think it was Mike Oblon was talking about a, the relationships you build early on and then you're focusing on revenue in these weird chapters of your life and at the, at the different part of your career, you realize that at the end of the day, it's about the relationships and it's the impact. And so that resonated with me. I, I, and I've worked very hard on that the last you know few years, especially just recognizing that it's even more important than ever. Um, and so I think I would agree with you. I don't think there's any, anything out there that says that, that that's not the right way. Ultimately, what we're here to do is serve others. Well, and I, so good. And I, I think transparency, like I'll say something to somebody that is not really what they want to hear, but they've asked me the, my opinion, because I'll always, because when I've got it, I know I'm going to give them an answer that, um, 
they need to hear, mm -hmm. but they probably wouldn't want to hear it. I always just say, okay, you're asking, so I think I owe it to you to tell you what I think. But they always appreciate it because um, I just think we owe each other transparency. Yeah, and it, we describe it as an authentic relationship. I mean, right. if you've got an authentic relationship um, with your friends, I would argue with your fan base or your customers out there. Totally. That allows you to earn the right to build, and I, I described it as this, this lifelong fan, this career-long relationship that you as a company can build, your brand, your people through you. It's beyond you, but the impact of the, the team that you're leading. Um, if you can create that, that lifelong fan, that authentic relationship with them, and truly be there to serve them, I think it allows your business and your brand to elevate above the fray. And you totally can agree. be one of the great ones. I know, agree. That's kind of how I think about it. Right. Okay. So what opportunity do you see out there in the business world or in the world that no one's taking advantage of? Like yeah. where there's something that you go, wow, that's somebody needs to go do something about that. Yeah. You know, I, I think... Um, we, we've dabbled in it on a, in a couple areas. One, you know, we think about uh, transforming cultures and we think about helping people. I think everybody's sort of in this, oh, we're going to work from home and be isolated in our boxes forever. And I don't think that that's how the future is going to be. I think I the either. idea of human interaction is going to continue to happen. And so we're going to push really, really hard as we think about the future of what flexible workspaces means about the seamless integration of technologies that you have, whether you are working from anywhere, working from home, working that, also pushing that back into kids and schools through volunteer programs, all those things. I think that whole convergence is going to be a huge area um, that I think ultimately will be a, a healing point for so many people and organizations out there um, that they're looking to, to figure out a way on culture, on impact, on value, on really the creating the next generation of entrepreneurs and leaders, I think is all going to be in, in that space. And we're still early in cracking the code, but I, I think that's where the space that we're playing in. Right. I think um, people are social. People don't want to be isolated at home. Now, I understand that there are some tasks that can easily be done at, at home versus driving into the office. But I think people want to collaborate. They want to be social. They want to be around people. You know, if I was a young guy and I want to grow in a business, how's my boss going to see what I'm doing if I'm not standing there in front of him? Yeah. I mean, I, and again, I build office buildings, so I want people in buildings yeah. just like you do. Yeah. But I, I think the one that's out there that you're on to, that you've put me on, just so you know, is people look at office buildings as an asset class and they, they fear them because of the retenanting cost. So you go to a, 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 a multifamily is selling for three, three and a half gap, 3% on leverage returns and they rent them six months at a time. Office buildings were building with eight and five and 10 year leases. I know you're doing shorter term ones, but because of the retenanting costs, they're selling at a seven or seven and a half in level return. And I do think if you get that piece figured out, those shorter term leases will work. But I think office, if you could do it, even with a longer term lease, mm -hmm. with, the, with the flexibility of not being fearful of retenanting that building, it's going to take it from the most feared 
to the most desirable. We we think about so we bought that first build that first Vera space and then we bought the second one in South Lake. We're building Vera space Capel so we can learn like you were describing. Could we build a building of the future? And we're going to learn. We think we'll get hopefully 100 percent right, but it'll probably be 90 or 80 percent right, and we'll learn. It's pretty good if you right? get there, right? But I agree with you. So the idea of flexible space inside of an asset allows it to operate just like a business does, just like life does. Your business never goes straight up. Your business doesn't hopefully go straight down. It's a grind. It's an up and down. So space, and it should be just like a canvas and move and ebb and flow with you. So we own these three buildings today. We'll have our the third one open next summer. But really, we're hoping that it becomes an ideation lab for other asset owners. So they're already flying in from all over the world now. Um, but they, they come here to, to DFW and within a day can see all the buildings, see how we're doing it. And then we can start working with them to transform their spaces in other markets. Because I agree with you and whether it's uh, 2% today or 30% 10 years from now, some percent will be flexible space. Some percent will be long term. But even that long term, because we've already started signing some longer term leases, I think you you you. Uh, you were sort of razzing us in the beginning because we were two to three year leases, but we've had people now sign 10 year leases with us with Veraspace, which we didn't envision, but they love the idea that they can be a part of the energy again, that we're creating there in the space. And then allows us to learn. So I think a combination of both is the the ideal. So I think for us, it's working with other asset owners to bring that to other cities and markets. Cause the idea that business is going to be stagnant and stale, isn't going to happen. Are they going to work three days a week, one day a week somewhere else? I don't know. Every business and culture and team is going to be different. Half the U.S. population doesn't get to work in an office. And so for us, if we can create tools that they can work remote, if they can create tools that they can work from their homes or whatever multifamily that Lucy's going to build up for everybody and create out there, whatever the future of those, those spaces are going to be, for me, creates more product and opportunities to learn and grow our fan base. Because, well, well, like, you just take my business. So I've, I've been in my space five years. I signed a 10-year lease. And the way I occupy my space today, I'm adapting to my space instead of the space fitting my, my need, yeah. right? And so, and everybody does that, right? They do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think their short-term lease thought was, okay, give them more flexibility, then they don't have to worry about it. But, but it, it was really evergreen tenant improvement. Could we could we do the bones of the space so well up front that we have less tenant improvement dollars committed every five to 10 years when the space turns? So if you said right now, I've got five years left, but I really need to change this. Yeah. Do we have the products or the services between us and these other companies to provide something that you could cost effectively do something fast, maybe without pulling a whole bunch of permits too, and just the delays? Totally. So could you just, hey, I need to flex up a team room. We just acquired a company. We've got a, I've got new interns that I want staged here next to the C-suite for the summer. Could we think of space that works for you instead of you working for the space? Yeah, because I think the piece that's the hardest part is the wall piece, Mm -hmm. is the wall piece, right? And I think your progress is uh, outstanding. And it is. And I think I look forward to how that evolves. Yep. Um, But like, like when I, like if I, I own a building and I have a tenant, I've got a tenant wanting to renew, right? He's trying to get a COVID discount. I go, there is no COVID discount. Right. 
But then I go, okay, if he moves, what's it going to cost me to retenant this belt, the space? Because the, not that the brokers are bad. It's just what they do. They're going to come in and ask for $50, $60 a foot on second generation space where I can renew this existing tenant for probably 10, mm-hmm. right? But it's still all typical. It's not doing what not you're yet. doing. But it's pretty, it's amazing because what I've tried to be is just more cognizant of how my mind's working on what I'm working on. And it all comes back to, to the issues you're working on, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. Yeah, we're excited. And I, I think we're still early. I'm just going to leave a little bit for us. Oh, no, it's it's all bad. I think we, again, we want to, we treat it like we want to work with the asset owners to crack the code. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, we're a product innovation company. Mm-hmm. Um, we own some buildings, but think of them as living, breathing ideation lab showrooms so that yeah. we can host tours here in DFW for for everybody that's got assets here in this market, or but from all over the country and the world, they can come here and then this can be the experience. So we can that's why our buildings all look different, feel different, because we're Smart. testing, we're learning. I totally um, agree. And that's what we hope to crack the code. But we're also working with a lot of y'all. So yeah. we're grateful for that too, because we want the faster we learn together, I think when I talk about impact, it makes the industry better. It makes us all better. Right. And it ultimately helps these great entrepreneurs create great companies. That's what we need to be focused on is help them create great businesses. Right. Let's create the canvas for them to create their Provide masterpieces on. Creates the so. flexibility they need. Okay, so interests outside of work. You're at home. What do you what do you do when you're not working? Um, I paint, so I'm not as good as your daughter, but I, I do I do paint. So. Kaylee, that's a plug. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, and, I, I and did. so what? You're like George Bush. What, what, I mean, well, I'm what not as good that? as George either, but, but Mr. Yeah, Mr. President. But yeah, so yeah, I would I would say Pollock inspired. So we can. And uh, when did you start? Uh, in the early nineties. Oh, I so probably, you've been doing uh, it. Yeah, I did a little. So like little on the dabbling. weekends, will you paint? Yeah, I mean, so do you I painted, do it? I did three paintings this weekend. Like I went crazy. I normally don't go that crazy, but I was, my daughter, we took her to college and I was a little, I think I had a hole in my heart, yes. you know, it was a little God, tough. I got this coming this week. And so, um, yeah, I just, I was laying there and I just got up early and I started painting in the garage and kind of went crazy. And, and so you knocked three paintings out in a day. Over the weekend, yeah. Over the weekend. It was probably so you were, 30 hours. And when right. you go in there to paint, do you know what you're going to paint? Have no idea? Sometimes I sometimes I have a little bit. And then typically I, I sort of, I just start and then I see what starts to come out of the canvas. It's not, it's, you know, it's pretty. And do you typically paint, I mean, do you paint seascapes? What are you painting? No, it's it's Pollock. It's, my kids call it splatter paint. But okay. it's, yeah. it's, so it's contemporary art. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. I'll show you some on my phone here afterwards, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I've got to get one. I can get into Craig Hall's, one of his projects one day. <laughs> I'll bring it up when I talk to him. Next week. I got him next week. I'm, it's price right, Craig. <laughs> I promise. Well, give me it. one. I'll hang it in one of our <laughs> buildings. Right, we'll do that. We'll do that. Okay. So. so you talked about reading a couple books. If you were going to recommend two books, what would you recommend? Yeah. I, I, um, uh, Stillness is the key. Ryan Holiday is an incredible read if you're in the middle of the storm. Um, I'm rereading uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius right now, which is another just if you're, you know, as you think about 2,000-year-old um, principles, um, 
of life as you think that times are tough right now. I think those are good. Uh, right. The book I read last weekend was 1776 on George Washington and our country. And I, I think that's a great must read for all of us. But you talk about the grit and determination of what our leaders went through to just get this country founded. Right. And I hadn't read that book. Before. Is it an easy read? That's oh, a great, great audible over nine hours. And then I just do it at two speeds. So it took about four and a half, but um, fantastic read on the grit of what George Washington and everybody went through to, to get this country found. I think that's just a must. So I give you three. Perfect. Okay. So, uh, career's over. What's the most important thing that you, you hope that you've accomplished? Yeah. I, you know, I think, um, for me, it's, have I made a positive impact in, in, uh, my family's life and my community? Um, I think the relationships that you build, you know, I was, I, I kind of boil it down to two things. So it's, it's the, the memories create you create and the positive impact that you make. And so when you're laying there, I think that's all you take with you is those memories. And so every year for my wife and I don't need anything. So for the last 10 years on Shutterfly, I make a photo album of the year. So I capture photos and so and I write little notes in there and I have them printed. And I joke with my kids someday, they'll be flipping that book through with me, but it helps me capture the year. And so I'm halfway through this year, two thirds through this year's book. And I get up early in the morning and I just, I have, I have a couple photos of the kids or something funny. They said, I'd throw it into the book, but those are the memories. And then I think to the impact and whether it's the, the people and the, the one student, the one person you stood up and talked to when you, if you gave an entrepreneurial pitch one day, maybe the next Steve jobs is sitting out there in the audience inspired to build the next great company. So I hope that, in whether it's my kids or my family or the or the employees I have or the other entrepreneurs or people I've met that hopefully I've been a, a positive inspiration and help them do something is how I think about it. You know, um, I think I like you so much because we think a lot alike. But I, like for me, um, as I've gotten older, it really is about just doing it right. And uh, when I go in the box. I want to make sure somehow I've made it a little better, right? And, and not for me to be rewarded, but just so that quietly I've done something to help people or the city or whatever it is, right? And um, what I like about, I, I, you know, as you and I have gotten to really know each other is you're such a solid, genuine person. And... Um, I will tell you, Dallas is lucky to have you, and I really appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting even know you better. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. It's been great. It's been great getting to know you even better and, and also just being inspired by what you're doing. So I appreciate everything. Thanks. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Bill Cawley and Jason McCann for their spirited conversation. Before we wrap up, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media. We've put links to everything in the show notes, so go subscribe, go give us a follow, and we'll see you next time. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.